Palliative nurse Bronnie Ware recorded her patient's end-of-life regrets. The top regret of the dying as she recorded it was, I wish I'd had the courage to live a life true to myself. I'm Krista, founder of alifeinprogress.ca and rebrandingmiddleage.com, writer, grief and trauma-informed mind-body coach and joyful living educator. Welcome. Just getting the hang of this new podcast and phew, it's a lot of work. My work is for freedom seekers, truth tellers and stubborn questioners, highly sensitive souls, slow movers and non-hustlers. The anxious, grieving, messy, and healing, reforming people pleasers, perfectionists, performers, and peacekeepers, and brave, weary, curious humans ready to quiet the conditioning and noise to reclaim freedom, wholeness, and joy. All of you is welcome here. A clear and compelling life vision and being really clear on my core values has kept me anchored in every season of life. After my parents died through chronic pain, after a traumatic car accident, the death of my son, PTSD and deep grief. Having this clear Understanding of my values and a clear life vision lights my path in every season. It helps me live on purpose, no matter what else is happening around me. I don't want to miss my life being distracted by shiny things, comparison, or waiting for some imaginary perfect someday. I want to show up fully to every day I get. So, I want to talk about living on purpose, what that means to me, why I think it matters to you. A question that I begin my annual life visioning process with is, at the end of my life, how will I know I've lived well? Now, the answer doesn't change every time I do this because I've spent a lot of time really sifting and truth-telling around my work, around this type of work. But have you ever considered that question? At the end of your life, how will you know you've lived well? There's so much noise in the world telling us what to strive for, what we should want, how to measure our self-worth or quote-unquote success, usually by things outside of ourself, right? Like accolades, achievements, acquisition of stuff. But at the end of your days, just like those people that Brawny wears supported at the end of their lives, you might be, well, I don't know if you will be, I don't want to be surprised. I don't want to have regrets. I don't want to wish I'd had the courage to live a life true to myself. We're all embodying something, conscious or not, we're embodying something. We're, we're walking out our beliefs, our root beliefs and stories, if not our conscious values. If we're not doing this work to really get clear on who we are, what kind of world we want to live in, what we believe in above all, 
then we might be pulled to and fro by shifting fads and um, or circumstances. We might struggle big time with comparison or fear of missing out, watching what others are up to. But knowing our core values changes things. So do you know your core values? Have you ever paused to consider? Um, and if you have done some values work, have you checked in recently to ensure that they are so clear that you have this very vivid internal picture of um, what life looks, sounds, feels like when you walk out those values. So I talk a lot about walking out my values. And really, that just means that I am intentional in every area of my life. Not perfect. That is not attainable. But I'm always doing my, my best to be in integrity as I walk out my values. My recommendation is um, to people who do visioning work with me or join my Brave and Beautiful community, for instance, when we're doing and, and if we're doing this type of work together, is to identify just five core values. You might have a lot of other values. I'm sure you do. But having too many is just like noise. We need to sift to get clear on those top five or five-ish values. And I even recommend that after doing that, we identify which are the top two in this season. If you're interested in learning about my values, you can find those on my website, um, alifeinprogress.ca and go to the Meet Krista um, tab and I share my values publicly. For many, many years, I stuck to top five and because I um, kind of merged that with my work, because my work and my life for me are not really, they're really tangled up together. Um, I settled on six, so I broke my own rule, but only after like 20 years of practice. So, and what happens is when we have such clarity around our values, all of the, the rest of life becomes simpler. It's like we we're able to be more boundaried and have blinders on. And every time we have a decision to make about, do I want to spend time in this community or with these people? Do I want to spend my money here? How do I decide between two seemingly really great opportunities? Well, our values become one of the core filters that we can use in all of our decision making. So in the process that I use, I walk people through and I, and I do this primarily for myself and I started that way. My, my life visioning process 
Um, at the top, so I walk through the why, the what, and the how, and I'm going to point you towards a resource you can get for free to get started if you wish. So you'll get my flow chart you know, I'm talking about. You'll get a checklist of um, exercises in the life visioning process and also a 20-minute video or audio to support you. So in the why, that's where I ask myself at the end of my days, how will I know I've lived well? I in I check in with my core values up there in the why as well. Um, and then in the what, I kind of like come down narrower and narrower. Um, in the, the what section, though, that's where I kind of flesh things out to craft a vision for my life, a vision that helps me live on purpose. We don't have a lot of time to talk about the process, but again, I'd point you over towards the resources I already have made for you on my website. Our vision does shift throughout the seasons of life, whereas our core values, once we're in adulthood, part you know, partway through adulthood and we have a good sense of self, those probably won't shift. And if they do at all, it'll be in those first maybe few years as you're really kind of getting used to this process. And then they remain pretty stable. Our vision, however, might shift. Um, in our when we're visioning for our lives, we depending we can start wherever we are, right? So um, me, I tend to be kind of projecting. Um, in different stages down the road. So I might spend some time thinking about, you know, my wise woman, what would she want me to know? What's she doing? How's she showing up in her values and work backwards? Um, but me, I generally have a sense of direction for the next 20 years of my life, but I don't live out there and I don't hold that. I don't hold too tightly attached to that because of course, who knows what life is really going to be like, right? And then we kind of work backwards and live present in today. We glance up once in a while, reorient. We know where we're heading. If we get pulled off track a little bit, we're checking in regularly so we don't stay off track. We come on back, realign. But that vision helps us name, get honest about, or do whatever Um sifting work, healing work, truth-telling work is required to really name what is it that I truly want and need for wholeness and joy? Or what is it that I truly need to walk out my core values in this season? Another part of this that I want to touch on and something that has been coming up for me a lot. I just passed my annual life visioning um, process. I give myself two weeks every summer around my birthday to do this work, one to two weeks. And then I check in at least quarterly. But something that's been coming up again for me is the idea of our, you know, focusing above all, on what we do want and not what we don't want. Seems obvious, not always obvious. We spend a lot of time maybe thinking about what we wish were different in the world or in our lives. 
we spend a lot of time noticing the painful parts of life or the world that we live in. And we do need to stay engaged and connected. And I I am all for, I, I actually am a proponent of truth telling and naming our pain, our grief, our anger, etc. But I don't think it's healthy to live there. We don't set up camp there because it can just suck us down into despair. So I think that we need to focus on the vision, focus on what we do want, focus on the joy, the um, the outcomes, the whatever, the type of the world we want to live in, et cetera. And not in a Pollyanna way or and not in a sort of like super attached way, as I already kind of referred to, but it's okay to name our wants, our desires, our our hopes. We're going to talk more about hope shortly. So where we focus, we aim, and where we aim, we will arrive. You know, we'll, we'll arrive somewhere over there, right? So if we're always focusing on what we don't want, or on the pain, or on the fear, or on the grief, or on the hopelessness, or whatever, well, that's where our energy is going. That's where our attention is going. That's where our important resources are going. And and and, and that's not where I want to aim. So where are you focusing? Maybe like 80% of your energy, your mental focus, your attention and energy. Where is it focused? Is it focused on a place somewhere you want to go? Side note, even in deep grief, I was very conscious that I had to be very, very careful about where I spent my time. It's not a judgment on anybody else, what they need. But for me to survive the loss of my child, I could not spend time in spaces or places where it there wasn't a clear focus on healing or forward movement um or where people were still stuck in the state of that in that pain that threatens to overwhelm you or drown you you know 20 years later again this is not offered as a judgment on anybody else or what they need or what serves them i do not know what serves them but for myself, it was one of those things that I knew I, I won't survive if I stay here. I have to fight for wholeness. And that means I have to focus, aim towards my vision, towards a vision of, of wholeness, of learning how to thrive forward as I learn to live without my child, etc. All right, so again, this is 
I am so incredibly passionate about living my values, walking out my values and having a clear vision for my life. I started out this episode saying it has served me as an anchor. This is one of the most important anchors in the storm that have supported me. Oh boy, the sound quality might be impacted. It's starting to storm outside. It can make a significant difference in your life. I've witnessed it as I've worked with other women. Um, it's not just like sometimes online we hear talk about like values work and stuff. It is not just a, a meaningless or sort of a trivial exercise. It can be life-changing. All right. So a clear life vision is in a sense a path home to ourselves or to our true selves. It helps us find our way back to true self underneath the conditioning, the shoulds, the trying to be a good girl, jumping through hoops for, you know, to prove your worth or whatever. to ourselves is both an internal and an external work. So there's this process of figuring out, you know, who we are underneath personality, etc. I kind of spoke to that a little bit in episode one. And then there's this external process of aligning our life in, a, in accordance with our values. So it when we're walking on our values, it will, as I mentioned, it'll impact who we spend time with, whose voices we listen to, um, how we spend our money, how we spend our days. And ultimately, I want to feel safe at home and joyful in my body and my life. And this work of knowing my core values and having a clear vision for my life is one of the ways that I do that. It's one of the pathways. In the seasonal living framework that I use, I, I've mentioned this before again, but I see that, you know, the, the 40s as just that entry point to what I call the midlife crossroad. It's an invitation into this great unraveling. This great um, is sometimes it shows up as a, a, a massive decluttering of what no longer serves us so that we can find the truth of what we do want. Um, deconstruction, sort of a tearing down to get to the essence so that we can rebuild from that place. So, and while that entry point is around 40-ish, it doesn't necessarily happen there. The women I work with, again, 40s, 50s, 60s, into their early 70s, they may hear the call around there and depending on life circumstances, et cetera, and the resources at their disposal, they may or may not immediately say yes, right? So this type of work can show up not in your 40s, 50s, 60s. Um, it might show up way later too in many people's lives. I think people have shared on social with me that it has for them, but, but hopefully if you have some support and encouragement and healthy community, you, you know, you can experience that in, um, earlier. 
So that great unraveling that happens whenever we encounter it, it helps us do this sort of like peeling away of the noise or quieting the noise to to notice um, how we've maybe stuffed our lives with things that are not values aligned or how we've been trying to do things to please other people at the expense of our soul, whatever that is. This clear vision and and the clarity around our core values, as I mentioned, it helps us put those boundaries on or keep our eyes on our own path. And this has felt really important for me. I've had to really be on guard against comparison, especially because one of my root stories that I think I came into this world with is I am not enough. I'm not good enough. So as I've become conscious of that and done so much work, growth work, healing work, et cetera, I notice that I still need to be on guard. And if I am um, really tired or in a hard life space, then I'm more vulnerable to comparison and the noise of comparison. And when that happens, I need to be careful about like, getting off social or unfollowing or whatever I need to do, just take good care of myself. So I want to just circle back and remind you why I'm talking about this. um, We're talking here about how will you know you've lived well or the top regret of the dying as recorded by Bronnie Ware. I wish I'd had the courage to live a life true to myself. I wish I'd had the courage to live a life true to myself. I feel really grateful that we have so much access to information and resources these days. And, you know, that I get to learn, for instance, from Bronnie's work, you know, and her experiences and the wisdom of all of these people who have gone before me. So I don't have to wait. I don't have to get to the end of my days and live with this regret. I can take action now. I can choose my response now. And I can choose it again and again, every day, every hour if needed. So I'd like to talk about hope. Um, I mentioned before that I am interested in joy. I think I've said that in the past. I mean, I am a joyful living educator. And I'm interested in hope. And and I would like to share that hope, I I think a lot of people believe that hope is sort of this fairy dust kind of feeling that's, you know, not rooted in reality. And it's not that at all. So I want to share a couple of things. One, just generally off the top of my head, I I mostly envision hope as holding a vision, holding a, a joyful vision for what I want or the and the world I want to be in. And then having the courage to step into that vision. Take, take one baby step forward into that vision. Knowing full well that I don't control everything. I don't know how I'm going to get from here to there. But I, I have light for this one step ahead of me and I step into that. 
a more scientific definition is that, and this is a definition that I've pulled from research, um, from different sources where they have defined hope so that they could measure um, hope, optimism, whatever it was that they were studying at the time. So hope is a realistic sense of optimism or attitude of mind based on an expectation of positive outcome. So it's realistic. It's a frame of mind. It is based on this positive outcome or expectation. But there are two key components to it. The first is agency. I've touched on that yesterday. Agency is such an important key of resilience. Agency means that we believe that we have power of choice, not that we control all the details, but that we have a measure of choice or power of choice. We can choose our response. We can make decisions and effect change or have an impact. And the second key or the second um, yeah, key component of hope is that we can see that there are alternate pathways towards the goal or towards the outcome we seek. There are alternate pathways. There's not only one way. And so that, to me, that means flexible thinking or creative thinking. Um, it, it requires a letting go of all or nothing thinking or holding too tightly to it has to be this one way. It's only good if it looks like this. So we have agency and we can see that there are alternate pathways. Think about, talk about hope in action. And just like I started this whole podcast um, series or um, season by talking about this sort of cycle that I use in my work in my life, self-awareness, self-compassion, imperfect action. And I shared that those deep roots of self-awareness and self-compassion, we only put the deep roots down by watering or practicing. Those roots are huge. They make such a difference in our lives if we are seeking freedom, health, and joy. But if there is not that third component of imperfect action, the practicing, then this stuff doesn't get us off the couch. It doesn't actually end up changing much in our lives at all. Similarly, I like to think about hope in action because I want to emphasize the action component. And and we can think about this in terms of our values. You know, if we say we want something, are we taking action towards it? If I do this work with, with you in, in private, say, and we were looking at your weekly rhythm, well, I would want to see your values reflected on the page. If we were looking at your spending plan, are your values reflected in the spending plan? Because often that's one of the places of incongruence or feeling divided in our lives is that, or just not seeing the changes that we actually do want, it's that there's that disconnect. 
between value and the practice, the practical application. So I care about hope in action, even though really on its own, by definition, I think that hope involves that action. I like to emphasize that. Um, well, and I mean, why, why are we talking about hope? I, I, I kind of forgot to say. Well, it's because life is hard. Life is messy. It's challenging. There are going to be obstacles ahead of us. Right? Like if we have this unrealistic belief about life, and I'm going to talk more about this in one of the other episodes, like life should be neat and tidy. I should have all the answers. I should always know what I'm doing. Life shouldn't feel hard. Those things just pull us out of action. And, and it's like, it's like a fairy tale vision for life. But real life is messy and beautiful. There are hard things in it. I think we can just name that and expect that. So we, we need this sense of hope so that we don't, I mean, spiral down into despair. All right. Um, don't want to spend too much more time here, but I do want to let you know that hope also has many significant benefits to our lives, including, but there are way more, um, lowering loneliness, depression, and despair, increasing psychological well-being, mood, life satisfaction, self-esteem, and sense of purpose. So, you know, we're talking about living on purpose, right? So these are some of the things, if you want to live on purpose, if you want to get to the end of your days and know that you have lived well, if you want to feel like every day, even the hardest of them, that you can are still walking out your values, which by the way, you can do, because walking out your values is not at all dependent upon perfect circumstances or ideal circumstances then you need a vision or a sense of hopefulness or hope in action. You need to know your core values and probably you need like brave community. People modeling it or walking their talk or walking with you, you know, doing this growth-minded work. As, you know, I was referring to when I talked about certain grief circles that I couldn't stay in because often, at least the way I am wired, the way that I believe in a new joyful possibility and keep moving, even when I am in incredible pain, is, you know, I'll scan for models of possibility. Don't always find them, sometimes do in story, memoir. Um, I'll look to research. I'll look wherever I can. I'll scan for possibility that keeps me moving forward so I don't get stuck here. All right. So I didn't say so, but I kind of walked through the self-awareness, self-compassion component of this episode. And I want to begin to wrap things up, chat, chat about imperfect action and offer an invitation to you. So here, 
you know, a couple ways that you can take action if you want to. One would be to spend some time in reflection. Ask yourself, how will I know at the end of my days that I have lived well? Another is to do the work to get really clear on your top five values. Um, and I am going to include a blog post on my website, and it includes two downloadable um, PDFs of all these different words. Like I think altogether, there might be like 500 words and that can help you get started in um, figuring out your own values. You don't even have to put your email in. It's just like there to download on this blog post. Something I'm enjoying. It's not a resource, but it's a practice and it is rest, being and doing nothing and, and allowing a lot of spaciousness in my life in a way that I haven't been able to in the past. It's like it, it finally clicked, sunk in to my body or something. And maybe just because I don't have little people needing my attention. But in terms of living a life I want to live, this is one of the things I want. I don't, I opt out of hustle culture. I like to create and think and discuss and engage. And I love that. But I can only enjoy that part of my life if I have a lot of spaciousness. And in that spaciousness and being, instead of doing, that's where the, my inner voice gets to be heard as well. It's hard to hear your inner voice and that true self if you're just running all the time or if you're constantly listening to other people's voices. So I guess if that's something that you want is to build that relationship with yourself and your inner voice and learn to hear it, you'll need quiet. A quote um, that I found online from Be More With Less, she, she, um, Courtney shared it on her Facebook page. The quote is from Nicola Jane Hobbs. I just love it. Instead of asking, have I worked hard enough to deserve rest? Ask, have I rested enough to do my most loving, meaningful work? I'm going to read it again. Instead of asking, have I worked hard enough to deserve rest? Ask, have I rested enough to do my most loving, meaningful work? Isn't that beautiful? I love that so much. All right, two invitations to you. One, I will share a link over to those free life visioning tools that I mentioned, where if you're curious about this, um, you can, you do have to put your email in, opt in, and you will get an email with my life visioning flowchart, a checklist, and a 20-minute video to get you started. Second, on September 6th, and I think I said September 4th last, last week, but it's September 6th, 4 p.m. Mountain Time. I'm running a workshop on befriending our inner critic. Um, I always offer an early bird price to the people on my email list. So 
If you would like to get that price, that early bird price, join my email list um, and you can register for the Befriend Your Inner Critic workshop. Okay. In closing, as you move through the next week or two, I encourage you to make peace with messiness to make space for joy. Until next time.